Hello and welcome to Bingeworthy, a podcast dedicated to telling you which of the many dozens of streaming shows that are being thrown at you each week and month are worth your time and attention. Hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo, and today I get to talk to you about a show that I really love and does not get enough shout outs for one reason or another. And that show is Tokyo Vice, which is airing its second season on Max now. The first season follows the true story of a reporter named Jake Edelstein, the first American to join the staff of a prominent Japanese newspaper in Tokyo, Japan. He basically gets wrapped up in a story of corruption and murder with the Yakuza and falls in with a local detective. It's a really thrilling and well-written well-acted show. The show stars Ansel Elgort, who you may know from Baby Driver or West Side Story, Ken Watanabe from Godzilla or Inception or Batman Begins. Uh, he recently did The Creator. That was an excellent one. Uh, also, Rachel Keller, Sho Kasumatsu, and many more. Joining me to discuss the series are the creator and showrunner JT Rogers and one of the directors, Alan Pohl, both of which are basically HBO vets at this point. Between the two of them, they've worked on stuff like Six Feet Under, or The Newsroom, or Westworld, or Oslo, and more. Like I said, I really, really adored the first season of Tokyo Vice. I've seen the first five episodes of season two. I just received the back half, so I'm just getting ready to dive in now. This season is a little bit more of a slow burn than the first season, but it's really cranking up the heat at this point. There's also a lot of great character moments uh, that are kind of establishing, getting those plates spinning at the, the first half of this season. Uh, during the chat, we get to touch on JT's real-life connection to the real Jake Adelstein, um, making a show for both American and Japanese audiences. Uh, the, the true Jake story versus, you know, the one they tell in the show, uh, a potential season three and much more. But before I get to my chat with JT and Alan, I've got to tell you that Bingeworthy is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, the Discourse, Deep Focus and more. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Follow, like, subscribe, drop us a rating on any of those as we greatly appreciate it. Or just head on over to theplaylist.net for film and TV news, interviews, and more. As a reminder to our listeners, Tokyo Vice's second season is currently airing new episodes each Thursday through April 4th, only on Max. Okay, here's my chat with the very talented JT Rogers and Alan Pohl. appreciate you guys taking the time uh tokyo vice season one was one of my favorites uh the year that it dropped i feel like i might have watched it last year. i i can't remember 2022 right april 2022 is yeah. when we dropped yeah yeah so let's start from the beginning for for the both of you jt i understand that you've known the real jake uh since high school so you know at the beginning of this was this like a something that he came to you with was there like a real responsibility since you you're personally connected to the story I mean, I came to him and specifically to talk about making something out of it, but absolutely. I mean, he's still a, he's a, he's a producer, you know, and, and a consultant and incredibly helpful and, and been incredibly generous about letting me run at points wildly away from them more and create a thing unto itself. But yeah, we grew up together um, when he, you know, the, the sort of inciting incident that wrote that memoir that becomes um, a shadow and a force through the first two seasons of the show is when he found out bad things about you know the worst the worst yakuza in Tokyo in real life and he was threatened. Um, you know the opening moment of season one is that and but also people closest to him they tracked down their phone numbers and threatened them and I was one of those people back in America. Oh damn! 
So, I mean, nothing happened to me. I don't want to oversell my, you know, <laughs> my Christopher Reeve Superman quality by any stretch. But, uh, you know, so I I started going to Japan. I mean, I lived uh, in that part of the world a lot as a child, but so I went to Japan, but I'm coming and, and sort of sit in his pocket and hang out with he and his cops and the um, ex-Yakuza that he knew and sort of, what could I do with this? Um, and as it does in TV and film, it just took a long time. Um, but Alan and I knew each other for years and wanted to work together. So this became the sort of, finally, the the thing that was, you know, perfect for us to join forces over. Yeah, Alan, don't you speak Japanese? Don't you have like a connection there as well? I do. My actual uh, academic background is in Japanese. My college degree is in uh, Japanese language and literature. Um, and I actually got my start in filmmaking through my connection to Japan. Um, but after having been like the Japan guy <laughs> on several big features, I decided I had to turn my back on Japan or I was forever going to be, you know, the guy, guy, the guy, the guy, the messenger that everybody wanted to kill. Um, <laughs> and so after a long kind of willed hiatus from Japan, um, this show has enabled me to come full circle and go back to my roots in terms of all my personal connections there, as well as my filmmaking connections in Japan. And I had, um, known about Jake's book since it was published because I know I've known JT for years. I met real Jake through JT. Uh, and on one of my visits to Japan, he took me to the best drag show I've ever seen. Oh, that drag um, and so I've always been, I've been a friend of the family of the project since its inception, but for a decade, it was our, one of our other executive producers, John Lester was in charge of trying to make it as a feature. And when it emigrated from being a feature to a television series, that was when I was asked to come back on board because most of my background is in episodic television. And so it was like uh, JT and I finally getting to join forces on yeah. something where our, our collective skill sets meshed perfectly. Agreed. Yeah, I don't know how how close the feature got. I was reading about, you know, the kind of the history of that's available on it. I yeah. know that you and, and Jake had kind of co-written the screenplay for the film and that maybe Daniel Radcliffe was in, in touch. Yeah, yeah, Dan, Dan was going to, I mean, quite, obviously been quite different. I wrote this, in the end, I wrote the screenplay on my own and it was basically, um, you know, as one does, it was like, well, let's make it like this, make it like that. So, we're, you know, very different versions. But ultimately... Yeah. And this is no disrespect to Dan, Dan, who I would work with in a heartbeat, and his work ethic and kindness is justly, you know, celebrated. But it's just better as a series. Mm -hmm. Just and I just, you know, I come out of the theater, and what I love about television, it is it is visual and language driven, and it's just like I know I know this water very well, and I love it, and I love taking this story and just knowing, well, what am I going to do? Seventeen hours, I'll do this in that scene. I'll do this and. You know, well, sometimes we'll be on set and I'll, one of the directors who isn't Alan, who doesn't have the full picture, I'll say, look, I, I know I talked about needing that shot of the watch. I, I know we're running out of time, but I need the watch shot because you don't know that in six hours, another director is going to take a watch shot. And that's part of my story. So I, I love doing it as long form television. Yeah. So was that set up, you know, is that where Michael Mann got involved? Was the feature of it all? Or when did he get no, involved? No, he actually was brought in after it was all set up with Ansel and, and HBO Max. And, and uh, you know, I had written much of the scripts and was, you know, set up doing the show. And the, um, the question was, you know, who 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 was who he? Because it, it wasn't a pilot in that, you know, it wasn't a proof of concept. It was already greenlit for, for what was going to be nine episodes. We had to cut back to eight because of COVID for season one. Um, so Michael came in at the last minute, you know, at the time it was to come in uh, for a director for his episode and did the first episode and then uh, and then went off to make Ferrari. So he was a 
a one and done and his yeah. visual style is terrific and it set the template. Yeah, but there were there were lots of reasons to have someone who is a, a master of style such as Michael to come in and and set the look for Tokyo and set the tone. Um it had nothing to do with the word vice in the title of the book. <laughs> I want to make that clear. Yeah. Um, and Michael wanted to make that clear as well. He wasn't interested in making a connection to Miami Vice. It's just that uh, I noticed Jake, there were no blazers with like rolled up sleeves in the, you know, wrong decade. Season 12, season <laughs> 12. And, and years later, yeah. the colors have gotten darker again. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and we were actually working on two tracks in Tokyo. Of course, you know, we shot six days of Michael's pilot and then we were shut down for eight months. When we were back up and running, then we were prepping Michael's pilot and the rest of the season on two parallel tracks. So while Michael was doing the pilot, Joseph Flatica, who did episodes two and three, yeah. was we were already scouting and prepping those so that we could move seamlessly right from Michael's work into Joseph's work. And it's it's interesting, you know, now you can look back on it and just talking about it. I perfectly designed, it was important to me that in the season one, that the, the sort of the thread or the engine or the theme taking us through season one is pay attention because things here are not what they seem, not just for our, our Gaijin Jake, but for even people as knowledgeable and sophisticated in their subculture as Detective Katagiri, played by the inimitable Ken. So see, episode one was designed to be full noir, mostly at night, the world of Michael Mann, the master, and really focusing on Jake. If you'll go back and look at episode one, it's just Jake, 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 and a few people ancillary come in and out. Sato, who's become, you know, one of the most important characters of the show, he's in the he's in the bathroom washing his hands for three seconds. That's all by design by me. Because when the second season opens, Wayne, we're in daylight for basically the first time in the show. And all of a sudden, we start with other characters and Jake, and you realize, oh, this is actually an ensemble show, and it's going to go off in ways stylistically and narratively we didn't expect. So it's not, not like a fake to the audience, but it's sort of like, oh, that was fun, but now let me take you in, into the world in a different way. Some people felt like uh, episodes two and three that the show had slowed down a little bit, but what we were really doing was resetting the world to incorporate all these other characters who now we've come to know so well that they it's we see the show as a very rich ensemble as opposed to the story of a one man is a fish out of water. Yeah, I mean that first episode, you're so disoriented because you're kind of in Ansel's shoes. You're in you're in his shoes to to kind of learn and and swim or drown basically. I guess I'm wondering when you when you mentioned the series got cut to 8 instead of 9. Did episode 1 of this season kind of get what episode 9 was going to be or did you condense well, that's, it? That's a that's a good question. I could say, uh no, I mean by the time but we got we cut to 9. So that would make us really smart if yeah. we had done that. But unfortunately I'm going to say yes. Well, but, it picks um, up right where it left off, right? That was that was yes. I mean that was not by the time, because of COVID and knowing when we were going to have to lose an episode, I had plenty of, I mean, God knows, you know, nothing good came out of COVID, but an adjacently positive, unexpected was I was able to finish and rewrite and deepen all the scripts during that break. And so I, we were, it was no problem making it eight episodes. I wanted, I had a general idea um, how I wanted to kick off season two and knew where, we, I know, always know along where season two would end. And Alan and I talked about after Alan had shot and ended season one, and it was such sort of, I was very pleased with the storytelling and loved what Alan did as a director. I'm like, yes, let's go. Let's literally do what's the unexpected. Let's do, the, in an essence, the first episode, the first episode of season two is really the ninth episode. It is the actual finale of- It's also a reset. Right. 
Yeah. But but the first season was always designed to end with the cliffhangers that we ended yeah, with. Yeah, and when we had okay. to contract, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. we had to contract the number of episodes. It was more about um all of the storylines coming together up until that moment had to be condensed somewhat. Yeah. And we, and we always wanted to end with people saying, Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, I kind of swung for the fences like I'd hope we get a second season because people are gonna be really mad at me otherwise. But I, I mean, wanted to do that. The what we didn't yeah. anticipate was the tidal wave of Sato response. Oh my god! Got when the last episode, people aired. in supermarkets, hey, don't stab are you that, that guy. Don't vice guy. What happened to Sato? And I really <laughs> wanted to say, do you think we're that stupid? I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. That interesting. That, that's but... the. I, I mean, it was a last minute. I think it was a pitch by Brad Kane, who was an EP on the show, and Brad said, "Hey, this is a this is a freaking crime show. We should get Sato stabbed." And I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And then I went, you know, and then um, we had no idea. I mean, it was a great fortuitous uh, act, as it were. We wanted the reboot, to, you know, it's much the way that Alan said that you're slowing down with episode two of Tokyo Mice. We're doing the same thing in season two because we're literally rebooting months ahead. And I love watching a show when I have to catch up, you know, the whole right. world is different. And then as you've seen through the five episodes, we... Even in the five, but certainly by the time you watch all of season two, everything that is to come in season two, every conflict, every story point, every theme, it is all in the second episode. Mm. Is that a stone for the next uh, eight? Interesting. So, so yeah, I'm I'm hating that I have to wait for the last three or whatever it is, and I'm just sitting so here on you season five, right? So there are yeah, ten. Got five more to go. Ten. Oh my God! You have ten this yeah, year. No, I, and so I, the story goes to places you won't you yeah, can't even imagine. Yet. Yeah. Okay. No, I asked for ten. I was like, I know it's going to kill us exhaustion wise, but this I, to get to land the plane the way I want to land it story wise, we need we need ten. And it did kill us, and we'll never do ten again. <laughs> so I'll never do a ten season show again. No, ten episodes. Fair, Fair enough. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. You know. Oh, when like ten years ago, you would have said like ten episodes—that's luxurious. And now, nowadays, everybody's just like ten's too much. Let's do six. I remember, it used to be in the early days of premium cable, it was twelve. It was thirteen. Thirteen, and then, 13. and then when you did, and then twelve. But then we went down to twelve. Twelve yeah. was the new thirteen, and then ten was the new twelve, and then eight was the new ten. Um, and maybe six, maybe six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can do the British style. And but ten—it's just when you're in a show that has as many locations and as much action in as difficult a city as Tokyo, uh, doing it 10 times was, yeah, it was, it was a bit of I'm a marathon. I'm very, very happy with the results, but I would trying to remember not to do that again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the show comes out and it's good and all the pain goes away. Yeah. 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 When it comes to, because this is kind of a true story, I know everyone's always like, loosely, um, but how much responsibility do you feel to the real life story? Do you want to keep certain things in place because they really happen? I, I would say that's a great question. I would say that what I most fealty to is authenticity of the world. That is yeah. that that trumps everything. And not just Alan, myself, but our other directors are incredible production people. I mean, you know, Alan and I are Americans, but the maybe 95, 97 percent of the people that work on this show are Japanese. So we are doing this strange, incredible hybrid of a Western Japanese show that's really being powered by the Japanese style in many ways. So that, you know, it means so much to them, our mm. our bridge, because they feel like they're making an incredibly peak TV Japanese TV show, which is this. Which and also the, the great goal for us, which is not immediately apparent to American viewers was to make sure that the show would work for Japanese viewers as yeah. well, yes. because there have been, we were the first show, the first American show ever to shoot entirely in Tokyo, but there have been other shows that have had big sections that have been set in Japan 
and they work all over the world, but often not in Japan, because if you don't take the extra labor to get the dialogue right, to get the relationships between the people right, to get the nuances right, it, it bumps for the Japanese audience. Yeah. But I think the fact that we went that extra mile to make it work for Japanese audiences, somehow it comes through. Somehow, I've had people say to me, I don't know Japan and I don't speak Japanese, but just watching the show, I feel like I can feel how authentic it is. Yeah. yeah. Even though it's like 1999 or 2000, somewhere around there. Well, that's yeah. The, that's the, what parts of Japan, we, what parts of Tokyo still look like. I mean, Tokyo, the light, you know, you would think of Tokyo at night, you close your eyes, even if you've never been there and just seen film. The mm -hmm. walk light, it's so extraordinary, but it's white now. And in 1999, it was yellow. So where can we shoot? Where can we enact that? And what parts of the city are still believable as 20 years ago? So there's all, all this goes in the walk. It was. It used to be a halogen world, and now it's an yeah. LED world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to answer the last part of question, I work I as a creator showrunner on this show, as a film, as a made from Oslo as a playwright. I do a lot of stories set against real events. But in this case, I've taken major liberties with Jake's permission. There's the 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 essence of the book, the drive, and certain moments and characters are there, but there are characters like Sato create whole cloth. There are characters that are compilations. And there's stuff that's me. As, as real Jake likes to say, well, your Jake's interesting because you can only write about yourself. <laughs> so it's some weird way. And then you take Ansel, who brings all of his talents and becomes Ansel. So it isn't him anymore. And yet on some essence, you know, friends who see it go, well, he doesn't look like you, but yeah, I weirdly recognize you in that character, which is what we wanted. You know? yes. yeah. And we also had to heavily fictionalize the storylines and the certainly the Japanese characters involved in the crime world, because if anything was too close to reality, it would have been a problem for our Japanese broadcasters. It would have been a problem for some of the Japanese yeah. companies that we do business with. Plus you're shooting there, so you don't want to make anybody yeah, mad. Exactly. Yeah. It's still, you still want to, uh, the, the Yakuza are less powerful than they were during the period of the show, but you still want to walk on the other side of the street from them. At the beginning, I, I, when the, the first season came out, there was also some controversy when it came to the real life Jake and how true his story might be. And I think there was like, basically it came down to a misunderstanding of, you know, Japan reporting versus American reporting and sources and what you can do and say. Uh, did you ever kind of dive in deeper with that and and try to get to the, the truth of what they were saying? No, no, because I mean, I'd been around, well, look, I, I'm not a journalist, but I've been around too many people for too many decades that have told me what he said is true, right? But even, mm -hmm. a, even a, I'm making a fictional world. You know, this yeah. is not a memoir. So there was no need or, or from the get-go, forget all that. There was no sense of like, oh, as I'm just saying earlier, we're not making the literal story of my friend who went to Rockbridge High School with me. Mm -hmm. Also, you know that you can't break a story like the big story that Jake broke in his memoir without some pretty sharp shoulders. Yeah. Um, you can't do it by winning a popularity contest. And so it's clear that uh, there are people along the way who have had complicated feelings about Jake because he's doing his job properly. Just, mm. just as, just as Ansel, as fictional Jake, yeah. um, is too is too intent on getting the truth out to care about the repercussions of what he does. So this whole like second season, there's like you said, there's a time jump. We're back to square one almost at the you know at the end of the first episode where you're like kind of deflated along with them. You're just like, oh man, they have to start all the way from the bottom of the staircase now. Uh, last season was also di so different because you know like Jake 
the audience is kind of thrown into this new world and it's exciting, it's disorienting, but now you've established that world, Jake's more established. So how does that affect the creativity, you know, the, the, the decisions you're, you're making narratively, visually, that kind of stuff? This is what's so great about long form storytelling in a series is it, most of us who watch it, we start from the beginning and we get hooked or, and we pull ourselves along and, and, and invest in the world. And so when I understand that we're into a season two and the audience is no longer lost and the audience knows who these characters are, and I hope without any sort of educational component, understands the rudimentaries of how cops are different and how newspapers. So we can just go faster and deeper because the one thing you don't want to do is spoon feed your audience. You always want to be to respect them to be a step ahead and say, okay, let's let's take you here now. Let's go deeper here now. And that's think, the fun yeah, and season one, we also had to focus more on Jake's not fitting in, mm. being the outsider in the newsroom and not being trusted by people and making a lot of rookie mistakes. And uh, in this season, he by this point, when we do the little time jump for episode two, he really is a trusted colleague at the newspaper and yeah. has a very close relationship with Emmy and with Tintin and Trendy and is even with his Emmy's boss, Baku, um, mm -hmm. he's, right. he's taken for granted as a capable reporter, which allows you to just focus on moving the story forward. Yeah. Yeah. I also feel like you need to shout out Ansel because he's basically learned Japanese here, has he not? I yeah. mean, yeah. it's it's crazy to see that he's able to kind of is he able to to like when it comes to the dialogue it does he have to stay on script or is he able to like to the point where he understands it and can improvise within there i think jake's lines because they are written by jt rogers which means that they are very literate and very specific uh that sometimes answer will suggest some changes but in general the level of literacy that Jake has, having gone through Japanese university and being completely fluent, is one step above where Ansel is. But Ansel lives his life in Japan in Japanese. He's fully capable of living wow. Japanese. He uh, he doesn't he it, on a conversational level. He's quite fluent, but yeah. uh, but because Jake speaks newspaper language and political language and a it's lot of specialized sense. dialogue. It's not quite at that level. I mean, the, you know, they're really, for all those reasons, we don't, we don't do improvising. You know what I mean? <laughs> My work. But as for, I said, the yeah. show is written by J.T. <laughs> Rogers. Yes. yes. Of course. But, but, but what was really fun in season two is Ansel will come up and say, hey, um, I think I could do this speech in Japanese, which would, you know, and then we'll talk about, does it make sense? And sometimes I'll be like, mm, actually, no, but sometimes yes. Um, and he and Ken will talk about it. So it does give us more flexibility. And, you know, there's something really, not just Ansel, but our, our Japanese actors who've learned English, you know, to do. There's something very exciting mm -hmm. about watching someone act well in a foreign language. There's just a locked-in quality that sort of, it, 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 it's a bit hypnotic. It's great. I, I love watching it and writing for it. So before they give me the hook, I, I want to say, because just as selfishly as a fan, what do we have mapped out? Is there a season three blocked out? How, how, what are the odds? We will wait to see what the audience feels the show. The season is here. If we get to do it, great. If we, but the plane has landed for season two, if need be. So I feel like we're going to want to. Oh, but, but, but yes, 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 we want to go back. And but yes, yes we as I said, it's all <laughs> the fingers are in the mind. Just not ready. 10 episodes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, for our listeners, Tokyo Vice Season 2 is currently airing new episodes each week on Thursdays only on Max. JT, Alan, I really appreciate the time. Great speaking with you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you.